Lovely. <laughs> All right, Simon, welcome, mate. Thanks for coming down. Thanks for having me, Johnny. Really appreciate it, mate. Um, yeah. So today I'm here with uh, Simon Mitchell, and you are the owner and founder of White Collar Boxing in Brookvale. Yeah, correct. Um, bit of an institution on the Northern Beaches. Uh, how long How long have you had, or how long did you have White Collar Boxing for? Right. Well, it's... Um, uh, I started in 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, uh, yeah, I started started in 2007 white collar boxing and personal training, and uh, I just had moved back. I, actually, I'm from Sydney. Mm-hmm. I was living in Canberra, went through a divorce and a big life change, and I decided to move back to Sydney. And um, where we met was at Nick Stone's gym at Bulldog's gym at Balgala. Yeah. yeah, and so I had uh, reinvented myself. I was a, a chef. Mm-hmm. and a mechanic by trade. I didn't want to go back to those trades and I'd been boxing since the age of 17. So when I moved here, I was uh, 34. I'm now 48. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So when we met, I was probably 35 yep. uh, years old. And um, so, yeah, I remember starting back in the days with uh, Nick Stone at Bulldog's Gym. He just allowed me to have a space in order to train my clients. That's right, yeah. Yeah. And um, I didn't know really what I wanted to do. I just knew I didn't want to do be chef or yeah. a mechanic anymore. Yeah. And um, I knew that I loved boxing. That was my passion. Yeah. And I thought, well, hey, why don't I just do get my personal training certificate and just see what happens? And uh, I was introduced to Nick and uh, through a friend of mine named Greg, and and he allowed me to Nick allowed me to come into the gym and. Um, start teaching boxing to his students um, and all at the same time I was working as a console operator in a service station. So, Mate, I, I remember that yeah. because I, I lived in, in Freshwater or Harbour <laughs> at the time and I remember yeah. going home one night and I think you were at the at the petrol station. I was like – and that was when you were getting up and running yeah. and you just had the space at Nick's. And I, I remember well, I remember uh, I was training at Nick's in the early 2000s or mid-2000s or whatever it yeah, was. And yeah. I remember seeing you coming in and you, t- you used to take the guys that either they didn't want to kick or or they, they just wanted to do boxing. Yes. Um, so it was it was kind of good because guys had the choice. And I volunteered my time actually. All those, all those initial students at, at, when I first started um, – I gave my time to for free. Yeah, for free. I trained them, and um, and uh, so I was running some boxing classes. Then all of a sudden, the extra clients that came through, they, they saw me training uh, a guy named Lee Kent and another guy named James Beard, and I got they, they started having a few fights and winning their fights. That's and right. I started to get a little bit of credibility. Yeah, and a few more people started training with me. And mate, what was that um, the style that you used to teach or you do teach? Because funny you mentioned, like I remember. Um, you know, I used to spar James Beard kickboxing when he was kickboxing and then yes. he hurt his knee, if yes. I remember correctly. And when he hurt his knee, he went, okay, fuck it, I'm just going to do boxing. Yes. And that's when he went to you. You trained him for about six or 12 months. I went away, I came back. I think I sparred him a, a few rounds of just boxing. Yes. And he gave it to me. <laughs> Free, yeah. you know, I think he knocked me down like twice in, in three rounds or oh, something. Oh, shit. Because really? he was just focused on hands and, and, and I remember he, he had this – Obviously, angles and things, but yes. you used to. What was that style? So you used to sort of step used to, into the I used punches. To, used to, um, I I was teaching, especially at that time. I, I still teach it now, but m- most of this Eastern European boxing style. So mm. a bit more of a square stance, uh, yeah. step and punch. Step and punch. Of, that's that's what it was. Yeah, and I, I remember um, I used to get a, quite a lot of looks from. Um, 
from the guys in the gym going, what the fuck are you teaching? That's bullshit. And then, but it was very effective. But it worked. Yeah, because yeah. you, you close the distance quickly when you punch. That's exactly right. So yeah. I, I can re- distinctly remember like that, you know, just the, the level stepped up and I, it, just, it felt like I was surrounded. Yes. You know, that, that's the feeling I got. Yes. And also you're fighting at long range. So you'd be out of range with a step, you're in range, and then you're with a half a step, you're out of range again. So the idea is and to you, hit and not be hit. And you're throwing on the way in? Yeah, is you're that, throwing on the way yeah, in yeah. as you move. Mm-hmm. It's not stepping in then throwing because it keeps you vulnerable. Be open, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it worked really well. So, um, yeah, so from the early days, did you did you have like a, a vision? Because like I've obviously watched it. It's, you know, it's a very well-known gym on the northern beaches mm. it's become a, a really good brand and it's you've yes. done a lot for the community like it's become as i've said to you before it's, it's always it's been more than just a, a boxing gym right did you have that like did you have that in mind back when you were working at the service station and you know training mm. four or five guys in the you know at in, in nick's gym and mm. before you had a premises or, or was it just something you were i think it's something that evolved evolved yeah, yeah it really is um Look, I, when I'd moved back to Sydney from Canberra, I'd just gone through a divorce with my wife. Um, I'd also uh, had just gone through about three years of deep, deep depression. Okay. And I felt quite lost. Mm-hmm. And um, all I knew is I needed to rebuild myself. I loved the northern beaches and I wanted to come back and make that my home. Yeah. I didn't want to do what I was doing before and I thought, well, I'm just going to chase a passion. Um and I guess by doing boxing and teaching boxing, it allowed me to have a, a foot in the boxing world without fighting anymore because I, re- I had just retired um, as a boxer because I was 34 years old and that was the official cut-off time. You couldn't fight after 34 sure. unless you fought in the Masters. Yep. And I thought, I love boxing. How can I keep going? So I started – it was a natural progression to go yeah. into coaching. Yeah. And, um, and I really enjoyed it. I found that I was a better coach even than I was a boxer. Mm-hmm. Um, so what happened then was I was able to get results with the guys and people started traveling. I just really found a purpose in that because I was, I found that I was able to give people, um, what I didn't get in my early years of coaching. I had, I had quite a few coaches, but they just disregarded you kind of on a bag, hitting a bag on your own. No one really... Put, put it, it in, into yeah. Put it gave you any attention. Yeah. You'd had, and I, I remember training at a gym for over a whole year, maybe a year and a half, and I still didn't get any time with the coach. Yeah. And I was like really disappointing. So, I, I guess I wanted to give people, and I kind of my philosophy is whether you're a fighter or just someone training for fitness, I'll give you equal attention. Sure, um, and that kind of has worked, and it hasn't worked at times yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I understand why coaches didn't give you time because it really is it's quite draining on you if you're giving attention to somebody and they. Um, they don't reciprocate that or they just walk away from you because it's kind of as a coach and student, a coach is there and he gives or, or she gives and the student can come and go at any time. They can change their temperamental. Being a you know a coach versus a, an athlete, I, I've really realised that athletes are quite selfish and that's normal and okay and it's as it should be but it's quite emotionally draining on a coach when you've got someone to a level and then they leave. It's a, it's a tough, it's emotional harshness because you've, um, given of yourself, uh, your knowledge, your experience, your time, your energy, and also of your, um, I guess, care. You've taken care in nurturing them to a certain point. Now, that, it might just be that it's a geographical. They might just move to another state, but sure. it's still yeah. hard. Yeah, it's like, it's yeah, like, it's yeah. like a, it's an emotional thing. Yeah, there's a lot that goes into it, and it's interesting you say that because mm. I never really thought of it from that 
perspective, obviously not being a coach. Mm. And I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm probably a bit extra sensitive. Some people are really good at maybe um, cutting, letting cut, go. Yeah, cl- you're cutting, letting go. I kind of there's always a little part of me left with them, um, and that's also part of the joy as well that you've left part of yourself with that person. But I think um, – so I, my coaching style was I wanted to give everyone equal opportunity sure. and, and whether you're just trained for fitness or yeah, – but, but no, you come to me and you learn to box. Yeah, no, it's good philosophy. Uh, yeah. The other thing was, um, I guess, and how that evolved because you're talking about how did it, what it evolved. I think um, what happened was the classes grew from one to two to three and then grew to about 20 to five to 30 people. I had really no aspirations to start my own gym. Um, but we kind of grew out of the space in Nick Stone's gym and it was like, oh, wow, what do I do now? And uh, the guys said, Simon, when are you going to get your own space? And they kind of put the pressure on and I, I kind of thought, oh, yeah, it'd be nice. Yeah, wow. I had no business prowess, like no business yeah, skills. Yeah. I knew nothing about business. Yeah. Um, I just thought, oh, yeah, it'd be a good idea. And I had – at that time – when I first started white collar boxing, I had a two-bedroom unit I was living in. My mum helped me uh, purchase that. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I had to – I couldn't start a new business and pay a mortgage off at the same time. It was just not going to work. Yeah. So I sold that unit um, and I, did, I just broke even on it because I'd renovated it. So I just broke even, paid all the debt out and I literally started my gym with $1,000 in the bank. Did you? Yeah. And was that the premises um, in Brookvale where – Randall used to have his gym. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I was, was before Randall. You, that was yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I found this premises um, on in, in on Harbord Road. Yes. Uh, I didn't know what was involved, but I had to get a de- development application approval through council. I had to make sure that the, the building was up to spec. All the OHNS stuff and all, all that kind of stuff was all all there. Signage, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, I just winged it. Uh, a client lent me $20,000. My partner at the time, the girlfriend I was dating, she lent me $7,000. And I, on the very, on the, I think three weeks before opening, because that was just, that was actually just enough to get signage and a few little bits wow. and pieces. So that wasn't even the, you had a ring in there. That yeah, was that, after. That, I paid oh. for the ring and just some basic stuff, some bags and a yeah. little bit of flooring. But I had to get some weights and equipment because I had nothing. And, um, I, by fluke, I found out there's a company that does equipment rental, so it's rent oh, to buy. Yep. And that was three weeks before the gym wow. opening. And um, I managed to secure some finance over a five-year period and um, I bought some weights and equipment and paid that off over five years. And I started off living in that gym. That's right. Yeah. Wow. Living in that gym. Wow. Yeah. And um, was how many members do you remember you had when you were I had 30 opening? when I – I had 30 that were going to tra- travel with me to um, Harbord Road and I remember specifically going, if I don't get to 75 members within the first two weeks, I'm not going to be able to survive. So the pressure was on. It was on. Wow. And um, I knew nothing about marketing. I think I just had a, re- a website, a basic website up. Yeah. Um, and we did no Facebook marketing or anything. My girl, girlfriend and I, we printed up some flyers for an open day. We walked around DY, around these kind of pl- – around, around the traps and we handed out flyers and we invited people. And miraculously – They turned up. Yeah, 35 people joined up in the in first that, first day. So wow. I went from 30 to 65. In and the within, first day? First day, 30. Wow. Yeah, exactly. It was really cool. And um, I just had a really cheap introductory rate and everyone joined. Sure, it. Yeah. yeah. And um, – so I was like, wow, at least I can make it, I can break even, you know, yeah. pay rent. Because we had a three-month 
in, uh, rent-free period, but we didn't. It took us three months to get the building applications done. And so by the time you had to hit it running, hit we had to hit it running. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I knew nothing about pre-sales. No, so I just it was just like okay, I'm going to trust. So people believed in me. They lent me twenty. I think I, let, I was borrowed twenty-seven thousand dollars. The finance company somehow lent me money with no. I don't know how they did it. I think they used the equipment as security. Yeah, well. And I opened the doors and we started. And it was really cool because we started – it had a great culture. It was really lovely. Yeah. And um, I was there for three years. Yeah. Well, I, I, I remember I, – I think I went away to Europe the first time in 2008, 2009. I came back. I, I was driving home from DY. I looked up and I saw the big white collar. I thought, oh, Simon, that was the first I'd seen that you'd got your own premises. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's good. And then I think it wasn't too long after that. Um, you had the this what was that not the the fundraiser and Seb and all that those guys came in the guy that was doing the yeah right so what we, was it a, th- a thousand things to do in his bucket list or <laughs> yeah, something? so we had uh, so here's the funny thing here's the thing about life whatever yeah. you need comes to you I needed yeah. a trainer I met this guy a great guy named Karim is a Brazilian guy still best friends yeah he's living in Miami now mm-hmm. um, he uh, he was just a really cool guy. Boxing was his passion. He also was really into mixed martial arts, jiu-jitsu. And um, he came and joined me in the gym and uh, he was my assistant trainer, which I couldn't have done it without him. So he just literally walked in. And then met one, day, one day this guy uh, walked in, his name Seb Terry. Yes. And he had just embarked on this bucket list journey. So a, a friend of his passed away. And he, and he simply asked himself a question because uh, his friend was really happy and he was living his purpose in his life and he was always his friend was always um, doing what he loved to do mm-hmm. and uh, and he just asked himself that simple question: Am I happy in my life? If I die today, would I am I am I happy in my life? My purpose and the answer was no. Yeah, yeah. So he wrote a list of a hundred things. Hundred things, yeah. That he wanted to do before he died. His bucket list. And um, he started to fulfill that bucket list and one of those items was to have a boxing fight so he came and saw me and said Simon, i really want to do this uh one of the items have a is have a boxing fight i've got no money i'm just pursuing my list i'm living my dream would you be willing to train me and sponsor me in this i said yeah for sure i'd love to be a great journey i'd love to go on this with you and i I did i trained him for free and we and he'd never he'd never boxed he'd never boxed before and I can't remember the guy. It was like, oh, big country something. I, the guy, like his nickname was Big Country. I can't remember. <laughs> like, he was, he was, <laughs> and we went to this big corporate fight night. It yeah. was epic. It was like really well done. And I'd never been to a corporate that, fight night Was that the one before. in the city? or, or was it, yeah, yeah, I think it was. It was either there or Le Montage. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, and it was this really big night. It was like – it was three-course meals, everyone's black t- black suit, black, black yeah. tie. And we went in there and I was like, oh, God. And the guy he went in to fight with, he was like – Seb was a strong guy. This guy about, Seb was like cruiserweight or yeah, something? Yeah, like 93 yeah, kilos. Yeah. This guy was like 110 kilos, oh, like a yeah, big yeah, footy yeah, player. Yeah. And, um, and, I, and and we went in there and he actually – he just – he won He won the he fight. Won. He, he won did. the fight. He, he Not only did he have fulfill his bucket list of hopping in the ring, yeah. he won the, he won he the won boxing the fight. fight. Yeah, yeah wow. it was really cool. It was yeah, a really, really cool night. And um and I think he actually knocked him down in one of the rounds. Yeah. 
Uh, he, he even said to me, Simon, I don't know how I move like that. <laughs> he well, just did well. It was training. partly to me, but I think it was, I think it was just his, his natural ability. So, yeah, he was reasonably athletic guy. Yeah. But just so like people know, how long, does it, how long did it take between um, him sort of walking in the gym and being able to – getting him ready? I know it's probably a, a quick oh, camp. but sugar. Um, it was probably actually – probably a good <clears> – I think it was probably close to a five or six month journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't do it that quickly, but I remember giving him a lot of time. Yeah. So he'd come do the classes, but I also gave him a lot of one-on-one one attention. And would you say that that five or six months, or even twelve months, would be the minimum for somebody that's never really fought? Well, this is a great tried? question. Um, look, unfortunately, we live in a world that is all about wanting instant gratification. Yeah, yeah. Instant gratification, really. Um, so, people's expectations with what's with what it takes, or what they think it takes, and what it actually takes are different things. Now, people's egos quite often get in the way of what it actually takes to be a fighter. Now, you know, you've been a fighter, right? So, when you first come into the gym, most people think, "Oh, I'll be doing this, and I'll just get fit and be three months, and I'll be ready to fight." The truth of the matter uh, is, is, you know. It, it, it's ten thousand hours to master anything, correct? Correct. So, and, and you're not really you're not playing boxing, are you? You're like not it's, playing boxing. It's, yeah, it's exactly. a fight, exactly. There's rules, but it's still a fight. So, yeah. So there's I have run a zero to hero twelve week uh, fight camp yeah. for absolute beginners, but they're fighting other twelve week campers. Sure. Yeah, it's a very very different scenario to hopping into the ring for the first time. Now I've seen people hop into the ring after six weeks. And they've gone okay, but uh, but long term that's not really beneficial because you don't have time to learn and master the art and skill of combat sports. Sure. You know whether it be boxing or yeah. or, or Thai boxing yeah. or mixed martial arts, it, it takes time. It, it's to master motor patterns, mm-hmm. to master your nervous system, your energy, mm-hmm. your nerves, how to how to be how to master your mind, how to and your state, be composed in that kind of situation. So. Look, I'd say if I was a complete beginner, never thrown a punch before and I want to learn the art of boxing and have a fight, I'd say, look, it's really a minimum of a 12-month journey before yeah. I would safely put you in the ring. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, there comes a trainer has to sort of draw yeah. the line as to where someone's yeah. ready. Yeah, and I've had people not train with me many times because I've said, look, you're not ready. And, uh, and they've left me and they've gone to train with someone else and they've hopped in the ring and they've been hurt or mm. lost. Mm. Um, and they, or I've had another, the same fighter, uh, fighters leave me and gone to train with someone else and they've said exactly the same thing. So I really respect those coaches who aren't willing to subject their fighters to harm. Well, and it, it also, I guess it reflects a little bit on the trainer as well. I mean, you don't want to put a guy in there representing your gym that's not ready and he gets knocked out or whatever. And I don't give a shit about... Whether they win or lose, I have no no um, attachment to that. Sure. What I have is attachment to is the fighter's safety, mm-hmm. his well being, or her well being, and whether they're mentally and physically prepared for that fight. So I'm not attached to the win, lose, or draw. Sure. I'm attached to the experience they've had, so that they're ready mentally, physically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and emotionally for that fight because sure. it's a tough game. Boxing's yeah. a tough game. And even if you sometimes win a fight, the decision can go against you because the judges don't no, rule it. Yeah. yeah. So you have to be ready for that part for that, as yeah, well. Exactly. Mm, it's a tough it's game. Very, very interesting. Yeah. The way you sort of put it like that. Yeah. Um, and what was your 
background before when when you were boxing yes you were in canberra did you say so was that i started boxing at the age of 17 yes um <laughs> i was a very very insecure shy young man um i had no confidence no self-esteem um and i remember i just actually been assaulted on a bus i was working as a mechanic okay oh sorry as a chef and yeah. not a mechanic. I working as a chef in the city i was a second year apprentice yes and um, i was coming home on a late night bus to my, my, my home and um, I met some friends on the bus and there was another guy who I didn't know who was their friend uh, and he he actually assaulted me on the bus. He punched me in the face and I managed to, they managed to hold him off and I managed to push him off with my feet and hold him off until I was close to home and I just felt powerless yeah. and defenceless. And um, I had met a friend, a friend of mine heard about this and I didn't know anything about him. He just was a friend of mine. He said, oh, I'm a boxer. Would you like to come and do a boxing session with me and learn to train a bit? And I said, yeah, I'd love to. I've never done, I was never good at sport. Sure. And um, he took me to the gym one day and we did a session and at the end we did some light sparring and I just, I don't know, there's something came over me, either the adrenaline or something about that session. Yeah. And I felt like I was born to do this. Yeah, and, I, wow. and, and And since that, that day, I've never stopped boxing. It's the wow. one thing I've never stopped doing. That's that's a that's a, been a continuous thing. Yeah. Life and now you're you're a coach. Yeah, and so you know how um, in life sometimes you feel like you have to push. Yeah. To keep um, something up. Yeah, yeah, like I've never felt pushed to do to be a boxer or to, to mm. be in the boxing world. It's always something I've really loved to do. I've I've wanted to do and I've kept doing because it's my passion. It's very interesting. I say I say if you do what you love, you never work a day. Yeah. Um, so when I'm teaching boxing or when I'm coaching, it is my passion. I love yeah. to do it. Uh, when I'm doing the business side of things, it's not it's well, not so much. <laughs> not so much. That's quite of tiring. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, that's understandable. Yeah. And um, so, what was uh, what? What do you think it is about boxing? Like when you say, I mean, you've heard that obviously before, but uh, you know, like mm. yourself, it gave you um, a passion mm. and something that you never wanted to give up. It gave you, I guess, self confidence after you know some guy tried to bash you on the bus or whatever yeah. um but more than that and you see a lot of a lot of kids coming you know bad kids mm. you know you've probably mm. experienced it yourself as a exactly. coach and as a fighter and it, it sort of puts them on the right path other sports do it but maybe not to that extent like what what do you think it is about boxing that sort of i guess aside from discipline and mm. things like that that really is different from say soccer or or even, even rugby league or something like that great question um so i was never good at team sport Okay, that's that's one thing. I it's a solo sport. sport. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I was always a, I was never felt confident in a group. I'd never like I never had a father growing up. Right. So I had no one to really teach me. My mum loved me, but she was absent because she had to work mm-hmm. to provide for us, um, and also she had her own struggles. So I f- I was really the surrogate father of that house i had two brothers i helped bring them up i had to help cook and clean you had younger brothers or yeah yeah. two younger brothers i was the eldest okay um so it's nine years between my middle brother and 15 years between my youngest brother right myself and my youngest brother so i was really i guess the man of the house Mm -hmm. um and my mum was going through a lot at that time so she's very mentally unstable and psychologically unstable and you would just never know what to expect when she came home, whether she'd be happy or she'd be a raging mess, mm. you know, and so I was always on edge. And there was no one in my life to teach me what a man 
who a man was, how to how to be, um, what it meant. How, how, I just had no confidence. I had no idea how did he talk to girls. Mm-hmm. Um, I had no way of defending myself. I was defenceless. I felt very alone in the world. You know. Sure. And what boxing did for me when I did that when that very first session, I think I felt empowered. You felt that yeah. that's what yeah. it was. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. powerful. I just felt empowered. empowered. Yeah, oh yeah, shit! Yeah. Here's a way. Here's a way for me to be able to. Oh, I can defend myself. Maybe. Yeah. Um, and, and and it wasn't about anger or aggression no. because I was introduced to the skill and the science of boxing, sure. um, the craft of it because you have to – I think the thing about boxing is you have to master your feet, um, you have to master your emotions and your mind. Um, all of these different things all come into play. It's not about violence. No. It's not about violence. It's about mastering the self. Mm-hmm. And I find that boxing for me has been a very spiritual journey. So boxing, when I started boxing, it became my father that I never had. Wow. So it taught me how to get up in the morning and when I didn't feel like it and yeah. go for a run. Yeah. It taught me to um, persevere. It taught me, taught me perseverance, you know, like you have to train through injury. You have to train through setbacks, adversity, adversity yep. and losses and all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so it, it gave me that and it taught me um, – it gave me the ability to deal with pain. Yeah, pain. Like physically as well as emotionally? Yes, or both. Both, yeah. Both. Yeah. Uh, and that it was okay and it was also part and necessary for growth. You know, without that you, you don't become stronger, better. Well, yeah, one of the things I, I found obviously like with training and things like that is you, you've got to learn to like the pain. Mm. You know, I'm talking physical here. But yeah, of course. Yeah, you've got to learn to like it when it hurts. You like it and that's something that I think you, you may not get in a lot of yes. sports. So guess what we do? We live in a society where people run away from any form of pain, any form of hardship, don't we? We do. And I think um, in running away from our pain, the pain catches up to us and overtakes us. So that's why depression, anxiety is so prominent in our society yep. um, because we're running away from the emotions mm-hmm. that are inside us. And I think doing a combat sport, there is nowhere to run to. And whatever's lacking either in your fitness, in your psychology – in your preparation in any kind of way is exposed. It's going to be exposed. Be exposed. Yeah. There's nowhere to There's hide. Nowhere to hide. That's no. right. Exactly right. Yeah. And what, what do you think? Um, what do you think makes a, a good fighter? Do you think it's? Do you think it's talent, or do you think it's talent plus hard work? The Floyd Mayweather thing. You know, very talented, but he outworks everybody. Do you think it's a certain type of person, or, or do you think anybody can can do it? You know, for people that are listening that may want to take up the sport that may not have have the confidence to do it. Mm. I think what so the question is what the makes question a good is, fighter. What do you think makes makes a good fighter? Okay, well, my experience on the northern beaches is, and sorry for anyone on the northern beaches listening to this. That's right. It's a it's a soft place. Yeah, yeah. So what I found is when people are confronted with themselves or they're confronted with an issue, quite often they'll just give up or they'll change if they right. don't like something. Um, I think, firstly, so, and I also believe that if I look at, if you look at history and history of boxers, most of the boxers that have been at the top of their game come from poverty. That's right. Yeah. Adversity, Adver- poverty, adversity blue collar. Poverty, yeah. yeah. Like they've had to fight to overcome their situation. So I think in an area where it's so comfortable to find people who are willing to go to that level is, is almost impossible because... 
there's not that drive. If there's any, if anything, go, if they don't like it or if something's not right, they can always fall back on their mummy, daddy, or Correct. they or Centrelink. Yeah, yeah. really, yeah. literally, like yeah. it's, we're very, very blessed here. And I don't think it's a bad thing. I mean, who would want to be really a boxer and get hit in the head? That much, well, you know they, I mean? they, there's a certain type of mentality associated. with I think it. so. In this, but in in the same note, um. I've taken a lot of people to to levels that, that and they've grown and by doing boxing and or by competing or even not competing even just training they've they've learnt different things about their the inner the inner person themselves yeah yeah so it, it it's they've kind of it's you've dug they've dug things out of themselves they didn't think possible before yes because honestly whether whether you're going into a fight or whether you're sparring it's very very similar especially for the first few times that you go and spar against somebody in the ring you're having to confront all of the core beliefs now i don't think a lot of people actually not not even a lot of coaches go down this path of core beliefs but your core beliefs really i guess control your emotions so if you've got a, a, a if you've got a core belief that i'm not good enough in some kind of level which i think most people do mm-hmm. It will come up, and and we kind of always focus on the other person in front of us. Oh, they've got tattoos, or they're big and strong, or they're fitter than me, or they've got an evil eye. I don't know, uh, or they're taller or shorter. They're whatever it might be, and we'll focus on that, and we'll always make ourselves not good enough in some kind of way. And that's the thing I notice mostly with beginner fighters. Sure, they they, they lack that inner confidence. Yes, yeah. but you confront that enough, which you do in the boxing ring. And you start to go, oh, shit, I just went in and I confronted that fear and I did it again and I did it again. And all of a sudden you start to you start to get build stronger. your belief yeah, yeah. that I am yeah. – not only am I good enough, I'm I as good. Or And then sometimes you see it change the other way. I'm, I'm be- not, not that you should be better, but you see the people who are really elite at, at any sport, they've got a sense like – Hey, you've got to, I, man. I, I'm amazing, and you've got to come up and meet me because unless you're amazing, there's no chance. Yeah, like they've really got this inner self belief about who they are and what they're capable of. But that only comes through, I think, confronting all of those other core beliefs and, and repetition first. of success, basically. Or yeah, yeah, or just exposure to that exposure. That's exposure, the word, yeah. repeated exposure. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a there's a there's a saying with any fear. There's, there's a thing about fear is called graduated exposure. So if you've got a fear of snakes. They might start you off with showing you a with picture a, of a snake. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. And then what they'll do is they'll bring that picture of a snake closer and then what they'll do, eventually they'll bring a snake into the room. Yeah? Yeah. And then someone will be holding the snake nearer you and then eventually they'll hand the snake and, and, to you, right? And then you, you start to deal with that fear at that you level. you realise it's not going to kill you. Exactly. And I think that's the great thing about, about boxing. Yeah. It, it really emulates life. And you yeah. get to really grow in that yeah. way. Yeah, and I and I think that that exposure is good. Like when you come in, and you know, first you, you you're not doing any contact, and then eventually you'll start sparring, mm. and then then you'll do a smoker tournament. You know, you know those ones that Nick used to have. It was like you're like a sparring day. Spar- like, yeah, yeah sparring inter- club a, sparring day. A stranger in front of a little crowd, and it yeah. sort of gets you set up, and then you think, oh yeah, I actually want to go and do it. So, mm. and that's I think that's a good example of that as well. Yeah, and I think also it's a coach's responsibility to not overexpose or um, stress someone out. Like I had a rule in my gym, there was just no hard sparring. If you're a competitor, if you're a competing boxer, we would take you to other gyms to do that um, or we'd have a very specific regime where you do hard sparring. But, you know, um, when you're a beginner and you start to get hit hard, you just 
if you're in fear, what do you do? You close you're up. You're going to close up, yeah. Yeah, so you don't really learn much at all. So we would play, it's more about play to learn, to, learn to, to box. And as you get more confident and your ability grows, then all of a sudden you're willing to take a few more hits. What I see, though, is a lot of guys as well with their egos, they want to get hit hard straight away. And they go, I can take a punch. I can, yeah, we're sure you can, but what? What did what the fuck did you just learn? Nothing in that situation. Right. So thank you. You told me you told me that you can take a punch and you're going to fucking wear a lot of them. So that yeah. means you're going to lose a lot of fucking fights, yeah. right? <laughs> so I don't want to know how tough you are there. I want to know how smart you are because yeah. the smart fighters are who who are in it for the long term. Mm-hmm. I remember I trained a fighter. I won't mention his name, and he loved to spar hard. And um, and I said no, no, no. And he eventually did that, but he wanted to he wanted to do it a bit harder. So he went to another gym. And um, 12 months later at that gym, he had to retire from boxing. He was slurring his words. Are you serious? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Because we've got one brain. Anyone tells you that boxing or combat sports, boxing is not dangerous, they're lying. It's, we've got one brain. Getting, getting hit to the head causes concussion and brain damage. End of story. I don't care what anyone says. So as a coach, you, we've got, we have a huge responsibility to our students over their ego to hold them back from themselves, to protect yeah. them from themselves because they don't know but we do. Yeah, We've yeah. been around. I've been around the, the boxing game for 30 years. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, you, you see a lot of guys that just want to go in there and yeah. and, and I think um, treat it like it's a, you know, like it's a fight. Yeah, they think because they're a street fighter or they're, yeah. they're tough, they can go in and they soon find out with someone who can box, they can't hit them mm. and they're not really hurt and they quit the game. Like I've seen it. Time and time again, the lifespan of those guys is maybe twelve months to two years maximum, and they're gone. Yeah, yeah. So and it's generally the person who doesn't have the talent that sticks at it. And I, I look, I know Floyd Mayweather might have had the talent, maybe, maybe not. But mm. I know that he started training at a young age. He was exposed. So I'm not sure if there's such a thing as talent, whether it's hard work that makes makes it look like people are talented. Well, that's what I think. Uh, yeah. Ricky Hatton said that. Um, I think I, I think he said that Floyd just outworked. He had the talent, and he outworked, and he does silly things like yeah. he'll train for. Four, I think he went and trained at Mayweather's camp for a while, and he said that uh, I think his father Roger trained Hatton for a while, and he said, yes. mate, it was just Monday to Friday sparring, 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 and he said, mate, it was just too much. He goes, he he said he wished he had have told um, him, look, I just need three days off. And he, he felt like he peaked too early. Yes, right. Because the, apparently Floyd just spars all like he'll train four or five hours a day. Then he'll get up at one o'clock in the morning and do a do twenty rounds of sparring in his gym. Like really? That's how hard he wow. goes. And he's saying that he's talented, but he outworks everyone at the same time. Yes. But it's just a, another level of. Yep. I mean, look, he's 40, 40, whatever, and he's still undefeated. Like, so yep. he must be doing something. Yep. yep. Nothing beats hard work. Hard work. Exactly. Nothing beats hard work. And I've seen it time and time again. You've so, seen talented guys come in and they've got all the talent in the world and yep. they haven't and had the. Most talented people never reach their potential because they rely on their talent and they're yep. not used to hard work. And boxing will eventually always become hard. Yeah. And if you don't have a work ethic, you give up. Yeah, and that's what I'm talking about, the comfortability of not just Northern Beaches but maybe of Australia. There's always something to fall back on. That's true, yeah. You see a lot of guys come from, you know, what's, what the Mexican guys, they're feared, you know, they're, they're always they just fighting fight. on the inside and, you know, they're aggressive and because yep. they've, you know, maybe they come from a third world country. Um, even like when I used to train at, uh, go and spar the guys at Castle Hill at, at Bulldog out there, you yep. know, like there'd be 30, 30 or 40 people at the gym and 28 <laughs> of them would be fighters. Yeah, right. Whereas, you know, you'd come out here and, you know, again, nothing. Maybe five. Whatever, maybe five out of 30. Yeah. yeah so it was just a different sort of 
to uh, demographic. Demographic, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So. And it's just – look, I think the other thing about um, – but look, in saying that, We've had some pretty amazing champions uh, in Australia, but it hasn't been for a long time since we've had really standout fighters. And you, can't, I think, uh, it's basically because of ego. I think that we think we're better than everyone else. We, you know, we live in Australia. We, we, we're privileged. We, were, we didn't choose to be born here. We were, we were, we, were, we drew the the lucky, the straw. lucky straw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, we, we were really. Who's to say? Uh, and, and we're very sheltered here in Australia. Like it's, we're a million miles from anywhere. So even at the moment, we even haven't f- felt the full effects of COVID. You know? Well, that's true. I mean, yeah. Yeah, our numbers are relatively low. I'm looking at these ones in Europe, and you know, they're, they're open. Well, they're not open. Well, the European borders are open, but mm. the numbers are just skyrocketing. Skyrocketing compared yeah. to here, we get a few cases and they close it down. So I mm. guess it's a good thing, but in a sense, but yeah, well, a bit I think frustrating. yes, that's right. But I think um, again, I might be. Um, in trouble for saying it, but, you know, Australians look at hardship as something wrong. It's, you know, oh, it's painful. We've sheltered our kids from hardship because we don't want to have a hard, as hard as what we had, and that's natural. But um, I've never grown. I've never grown from things being easy. I've got very complacent. And I think you look at the fall of any society, uh, any empire, it was because they became lazy and fat. Comfortable. Comfortable. And I think um, we're about to hit hard times and I don't wish that on anybody, uh, but there is a benefit to that and that is resilience and we'll, learn, we'll have to learn how to deal with hard, uh, you know, pain or suffering and suffering is part of life and if we've spent our life, like I said, avoiding that, which is hitting on the point we said before, then we're going to – our mental – Yeah, mental health uh, suffers. But suffers, if, if yeah. We, if we can embrace pain and suffering as part of life, we can then deal with it and yeah. have a different attitude around yeah. it. Like instead of trying to avoid that, we can run toward – not run towards it, but we can embrace, embrace it, it and, go and learn it. from yeah. it and become resourceful. You know, I think of any times in my life where it's been really hard. I've been homeless three times in my life. Uh, it's been when I've been really resourceful. It hasn't actually been as sad as times. It's been really resourceful times. Like I've had to figure out – well, how do I make money? How do I get my next meal? Um, how do I get myself from here to the next level of income? How do I? What do I need to do? What's important to me? And um, so, th- these kind of times. And I, I mean, like I said, I started my gym with a thousand dollars in the bank. I had to be very resourceful. Uh, and I, I'm actually glad for the um, naivety or the ignorance I had when I started my business because if I knew what business what was involved, what was coming, yeah. I wouldn't have gone for it. <laughs> and same thing with boxing. If I knew what was involved in the world of boxing when I entered it, I would never have got into it because it is hard. It's everything. Boxing is like I call, I say this to all my fighters. It's boxing is like a jealous lover. Um, it demands your sleep. It, it controls your sleep, your food. It controls the job that you do. Uh, it, it controls the relationships you have, your social life, everything. You can't drink. You can't have a night you on the booze no. and expect that it's going to be so, okay. No, that's right. You got to live like a like a monk. Well, you, you got to live. Do, you got so another thing about that is that this is what I do love about a fighter and guys that that, that are actually at the elite level in, in Australia or anywhere is you you just you have a dream, you have a vision. This is what I would really like to achieve. There's no promises, 
But every day you're working towards that dream and, and, and most fighters do that in poverty. <laughs> you work part-time casual jobs and you sacrifice everything for your dream because in Australia there's no, there's no professional boxing. Oh, there's professional boxing. There's, but it's not. It's not. On a, yeah, yeah in, in amateur boxing there's no money involved in that. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you might get a few endorsements, you might get a few sponsorships that pay for your gloves or for your equipment yeah. but there's no, it's very hard to get paid. Money, yeah. Whereas in, a, in Europe and Russia yeah. and Eastern they've got – it's a big thing over there, isn't it? It's a big thing. So especially in Cuba. So if you win a gold medal in the Olympics in Cuba, they'll give you a house. Yeah. Yeah, and all your training and, and every, all your Everything's food fun. and everything is funded for you if you're a high-level boxer in Cuba yeah. or in some of those countries. So yeah. um, we don't have that here. Uh, and so people really do it hard and they sacrifice a lot for their for their passion and I really respect that. Um, and the people that – there is there – is, Still in Australia, a lot of people. I think the amateur level, amateur boxing in Australia is the some of the highest in the world, mm-hmm. and the competition is a lot higher, I believe, in the amateur world in boxing than it is in the professional world in Australia at the moment. Anyway, because the depth is there. And what do you think about like on the on the amateur side of things? I noticed. I mean, it's a little bit off point, but mm. in the in the last Olympics, um, you know, they've, they've taken their headgear off. Yes. I, and I think in all the previous Olympics they had, as per amateur boxing, they right. had the headgear on. Do you, do you know anything about that? Or Okay. So there's, there's, there's so many different opinions about it. So the reason why the, uh, the, the international body of boxing, AIBA, um, got rid of uh, headgear was they said it could, increases the risk of um, brain damage because you get hit harder. I don't really understand that thinking. Um, or was it that you can you think you can take more of a hit, so you you you're more likely to take shots? That's possibly I, that's what they said. Yeah, but look, I and they said it can amplify the power of the punch. I don't believe any of that to be true. Um, I'm a fan of headgear to avoid head clashes. Um, when you say head clashes, do you mean cuts, or cut, are you actually cut, well, talking yeah, head clashes and cuts? Yeah, well, yeah. look in in. In uh, an Olympic-style tournament, if you're in the Olympic Games or if you're in any kind of um, precursor to that mm-hmm. point, you've got to go through a number of elimination bouts. Sure. So you could win your fight and get cut, but then you might not be able to fight at the next fight because you've been injured in that. So, so you're I think, out of the... Yeah, yeah, I think there's a, an element where the headgears protect you from that. I'm a fan of them. Mm-hmm. And I, for me, I've worn headgears um, the whole time I've been training. And you see any fighter when they're training, they all wear headgears. So if it, if it amplified the punch, if you were more more danger from getting hurt by wearing a headgear, why would you wear it in training? So my opinion is I, I'm a fan of headgear. I think they do protect and um, and they do – There's a, even if – even if what they're saying is true, maybe it amplifies. I think there's a level where it protects a fighter from a head clash and a cut, and uh, it allows them to go to the next level of competition. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And win, you know. So I'm a, I'm a fan of it. But look, you just got to go with the rules and and do with what you can. So um, long distance boxing is is amateur boxing before, and I think even more so now. It should be even more that kind of game where you're long distance to protect yourself from getting in close and getting hurt. But unfortunately, what I've seen since the removal of headgear is people are coming in and they're doing a lot more brawling and it's kind of, even though they say the scoring system is not the same as professionals, I've seen a lot of fights where the lowest skilled fighter has just been fighting on the inside and he wins the fight. He's not necessarily had the cleaner blows. or Just the a more, more aggressive. More aggressive. So I think what's getting a rewarded now in, in, uh, in competition is the aggressive style versus... You know, classic amateur boxing that we've all used to. Kind know? of like Muay Thai, they, they tend to go with the aggressor if it's a... 
if it's an if it's an even thing. Yeah. So how how does the um so we like we know how the in pro boxing obviously it's a ten point must system, ten nine, ten eight for knockdown, whatever. Mm. How does that differ from say Olympic scoring or? Well, they, there's, a whole, they, they, there's a whole criteria that we're given as coaches from Aiba saying we score on uh, on on skill, on aggression, on, on a whole bunch of different points and levels. But if you're a, a uh, if you're a judge on the side of the ring and you've got to score on all these different criteria, I think it's too difficult. It's too much. It's too much. I would always – I think what's – people just – I still think it's a 10-9 and they'll go, I think that guy scored more or he was more aggressive. I think that he – That's a 10-9. Yeah. You know, I think it's still based – It's a. I find boxing very ambiguous uh, because, you know, the, the fighters always know who's won the fight as well. You know, I remember I fought a guy um, – is a master and I knew I lost the fight and I got awarded that fight and I knew that was absolutely wrong and I've also knew fights that I've won and I lost and the other fighter knew that. But but look, that's that's boxing and that's that's judge that's refereeing. I don't think it's a bias. I just think it's you're always looking the judges do their best and their 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 interpretation of that event is whatever their what it is. What their you, bias is. Do you, do you think there do you think there's um cognitive bias towards a champion? So if a champion's got the belt, they've got to do more to take it off him. Do you believe that? Look, I, subconsciously, Aside from yeah, knocking I, him I don't think it's a conscious thing, but yeah, I see yeah, subconsciously advice, for yeah. sure. I think it's subconscious. Yeah, I think it's it definitely be. there. I think from, if you look at anything like that, you know, it's you definitely look. It's it depends on your focus on that day, or sometimes. The fighter will get a judge's eyes. He's not really doing anything. He might be moving more and he looks like he's doing better, but he's really not done anything not to hit that other anything, fighter, but yeah. he'll still might win the fight. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's right. He'll edge it. Yeah. And then if he's the champion, they go, well, maybe unconsciously they've gone, well, he hasn't done enough to take the belt off him. Yeah. Not yeah. consciously, but yeah, unconsciously. Exactly. So it's interesting. <laughs> yeah. But um, and what, what are some of the – like what's, what's like the best sort of um, achievement or, or the, the best time that you've had at, at White Collar? I know it's a – it's been a long journey. Right. So, so it's a, probably a difficult question, but what was the most satisfying or something that sort of comes to mind? Was it training fighters? Was it getting kids in that have, you know, maybe did lack the confidence, maybe were getting bullied at school? Was it, um, you know, getting mm. someone like, like James Beard or, you know, getting him up to that level? And There's so many highlights at different parts of uh, this process. Um, in Like personally... And also professionally. Yes. Um, so, and the good thing is WCB, the the gym is shut down, but I still own WCB and have that and I will continue that in some form. Sure. Uh, as I travel around, do my travel around Australia and who knows, I might come back as another, as, as the institution again. Yeah. Um, but I think always the highlights for me is not the outcome. It's always been... Um, Seeing the smile on someone's face, or the personal growth, or I remember um, you know going to people's weddings, or um, see that's really special to me that someone you've helped has then returned that, that a feeling of um, gratitude, gratitude yeah. back to you, and 
you've you've gone to their wedding and you've met the, you've seen their newborn yeah, or, well. um, or you've seen this young kid I, I mean some of the like look seriously some of the biggest highlights of my life are I was walking down the Corso one night and this kid runs up to me and he goes Sime remember me and I go oh, he goes oh, my name's Harry I remember his name's Harry he goes oh, my name's Harry, yeah. Harry. Uh, and um, yeah and uh, and this is just one time yeah. but he, I'm just walking down and he goes Sime you know I don't know if you remember me, but one of the greatest things in my life, and it, well, you, I remember you, and one of the greatest things you've ever given me, given me over anybody else was hard work ethic, my wow. work ethic. And I went, whoa, that was, that was beautiful. And I remember um, many, many people say, thanks, Simon, for listening to me. Uh, you know, my mum and my dad don't listen to me, and you sat there and listened to me, and you were like a father to me. Yeah, yeah. And... Um, uh, I mean, there's a kid that I trained from Venezuela... Um, his stepfather was um, really abusive towards him, and his mum was emotionally unavailable. He's actually living. I call him Harry Harry Potter's hole. Like he had this little, literally, he had to climb up a bookcase to get into his little hole above the bookcase, and he had a he had his mattress up there, like a little foam mattress. He was living up there in, and they also stuck storage up next to his fucking bed. They had no respect for his space. His uh, his stepfather was abusive to him, and his mother just fucking was struggling to survive. So he was alone, and he came to me in the gym. Um, he said, "I love boxing. I want to. I, I, I've done a bit of boxing before." He lied. He actually never done any boxing before. Um, and he and I sponsored him, and he trained under me. And he had a few fights, and he was just this amazing kid. And we grew. And, and to watch him grow as a human being and his confidence, and wow. he, it was just amazing. How, how old was he when he first came in? 13. 13. 14. Okay. 14. Yeah, so you got him at a, at a good time yep. to instill that. Yeah, and um, he had his first fight one day with me as well, and I, I couldn't go to his first fight, and I trusted this coach to match him up fairly because his coach said this other kid's had one fight, and I thought, or two fights, and Gustavo's first fight, and he was very, very good for his... Um, he'd been training probably three hours a day for nine months or maybe even more. So he'd been Before, putting the work in. Yeah, yeah. like I know we'd worked a lot together. He was really well prepared for his first fight. So there's no doubt he was going to win his first fight. Yeah. And I thought even against someone who's had two fights, he's either going to win or draw, you know, or, yeah. or, or win yeah, or look it's very – it's, it's going to be very close, yeah. you know. Yeah. And um, But I, ha- I, I said I, I, the coach was a good friend of mine and he said I'll look after him and blah, blah, blah. But I found out – that he put him in against a, a, a someone who was a junior Australian champion and had a golden gloves and won golden gloves. How many fights did he did this? About twenty five fights. Oh. Well, Gustavo nearly knocked him out in the wow. first round, and he did well. Obviously, the guy's experienced when he won the fight over three rounds, but it, that's how well trained how, he yeah. was and devoted he was. And um, and the other thing about this young boy is he was in a situation. And um, his stepfather, who was abusing him, like, verbally, um, and I think sometimes he would hit him as well, um, had a friend called Peter in the States and um, uh, and Gustavo would talk a lot to this man over time and, and this, this man uh, decided to um, sponsor him and adopt him as a son. Oh, wow. Yeah, so um, this young man got... Adopted by this guy Peter, who was a multimillionaire in the states, and he's now living over there with that wow. family. Yeah, so that was really one of the greatest things that was being yeah, part yeah. of this 
young kid's journey and this other fellow saw uh, really loved him and he was so he was in this situation where there was no love but he had the gym where he was learnt, he was given confidence and mm-hmm. I believed in him and this other man believed in him we showed him love and then and to see him grow now is yeah, wow. yeah yeah that's amazing it's an amazing journey it's yeah. really good yeah. yeah he could be he might become a champ over there you know oh, yeah he's got the foundations or whatever yeah it's pretty cool yeah and i think another i think one of the other biggest highlights was i took this guy named simon yes uh he was he was five foot nothing he's a he was just a, a powerhouse of a human he came to me and he said simon i've really got this dream i want to fight and i want to see what i can do over the next you know 12 months two years and um, I, I took him as a he was training at this other gym with this, this other for coach and he just didn't like it and he came train with me and I took him to he won it was, it was the state novice titles yeah. and he had three fights over the weekend he won all three and, he, and, and it was it was amazing to see because he was the shortest fighter in that tournament they all were like at least I don't know eight inches taller taller wow. than him so he's like he's literally five foot nothing wow and these guys were five ten yeah Six foot, yeah, and um, he went, went in and he just destroyed them all. It was this little strike, and it was just that, that was that's probably one of my highlights, actually. Uh, probably one of the greatest highlights is taking wow. this guy to that, that to win that the, the novice state titles. Yeah, it wasn't the all... state titles, the novice state yeah, titles, yeah. but it was still amazing for him because he was a, it was a father of, of two kids, and that was something he wanted to achieve. And yeah. we did that, and yeah. so to see the completion of that journey, yeah, yeah, wow. And he said to me very recently, actually, on my farewell, he goes, Sime, um. I was, you know, I would say you're in the top five people in my life that have, have, that I've, I'm closest to, and then he explained the reasons why, and he goes, well, you know, uh, even my footy coaches, I, I did really well, but they actually never believed in me. I was always trying to prove myself, and anyway, he, he goes, you know what? Actually, um, my wife Simone believes in me, and you were the only other person in my life that has believed in me enough and said that you can do this. Wow. So actually, you're in the top yeah. two, and I went, oh, it just wow. blew me away. And yeah, th- th- that that was an influence of a coach. So uh, the influence you can have by just believing and having belief in somebody is huge. That's right. Yeah, mm. that's amazing. That's really good. Mm. It's uh, you can't get that sort of satisfaction from from any old thing out there, can you? Yeah, I think it's also part of my character. As I love people. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that doesn't come from everybody, but I remember that with some of my coaches. Like some of my coaches were really special. Yeah. And some coaches couldn't give a shit. Yeah, they were interested. It's all their own agenda. Yeah, they want to get what they want. They they want you to represent them. What they can get from the what they can get from, from, the, from the guy or yeah. the girl. Yeah, and um, how how is um how has things changed over, say, in the last thirteen years with um you know kids and people getting involved in the gym and you know boxing as a as a sport. You know, like obviously Northern Beaches may not be the biggest sort of boxing epicenter, mm. but have you found mm. that more people have started to get into the combat sports and boxing in particular, you know, you've got UFC, you know, that type of thing. Boxing, and girls as far coming as fitness, in, is yeah. probably as popular as it's ever been. Mm. I think it really is. Um, and it's, it's everyone's using it in, in, as a form of fitness because it is. It's, it's tried and true. It's proven. It's, it's not a fad. It's always been here. It's always going to be here. It's like it's, it's really, I believe, it's the ultimate because it combines everything. You've got to have every kind of element to boxing. You've got to have speed and power and strength, agility. Cardio. You know, yeah, that's right. You've got to be um, – you have cardiovascular endurance and you've got to be able to sprint as well. So it's got all elements. Yeah, yeah and, so it works. Uh, yeah, it's really awesome. Yeah. But I, I think as far as the Northern Beaches go with – like I said, I think 
the Northern Beaches with I think the biggest thing that I've noticed about the kids over the 13 years is the pressure and uh, the expectation and also how the system's failing us. Um, you know, I, I see kids who've got no time because they're doing homework, got three hours of homework every night and they're 12, you know, or 10. To, you know, and they, they've, got to do, they've got to then do music and they've got to do... They've got no time and they're just pushed to their limits. And so I think um, the system itself is not teaching what's important. Uh, what's it, they, they don't teach it about relationships. They mm-hmm. don't teach basic life skills like banking. Mm-hmm. Or tax returns. Tax returns, <laughs> any of that stuff. Um, I, re- I Look, I really don't remember much from school except being fucking bullied. Yeah. I, I don't – by teachers, by students. Yeah. I was not given the interpersonal skills to be able to deal with that or learn how to deal with that properly. I had to find out all that for myself. And, you know, I was a wog boy in school growing up and I think that was pretty tough. And I don't think – and the system is clearly failing in all levels, whether it be at school or um, or financially. The whole system is based on a false reality and I think we need to get back to what's true. And I think rather reason why I love boxing, it's – True. There's no, like I said, there's no fucking hiding, and I, you get to experience life. I think people are craving to feel again. And you know, one thing I think, if anything, this this virus has taught us is that you know, health is number one. Yeah, yeah, that's health right. is number one. So only the people that are most in danger are people who uh, um, people that aren't have active comorbidities. Yeah, yeah. so people are obese. Or people who have issues that basically are self-induced, um, they can also change that by starting to eat properly and to exercise, and or look at the reasons why they're not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, well, I'm, I'm not sure about now, but I don't think they teach that at school. I mean, they, boxing would be a good sport to have in school. I don't know if they have it now. No, it was in we school. We had surfing. Oh, it was in school. Yeah, it used to be in schools yeah. back in the day. But oh, now, back, yeah, that's right. Yeah, back. Yeah, in but the, now it's not politically it's, correct. That's right. Yeah, it's strange. Yeah. Because, you know, everyone's a winner. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. You can't, <laughs> you can't have that. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, people potentially getting injured and things like that. I think that's – people still – a lot of people that's right. don't God, see the sweet God, signs. God forbid someone gets hurt. God forbid someone gets hurt, yeah. even though, you know, rugby league's probably – well, I've been more – well, rugby league's a lot more – Injury prone, I think, than boxing or even even kickboxing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but they they throw that in schools. Yeah, the good thing is I have uh, that some schools do come to me to teach boxing. It's non-contact, so we do focus pads and that kind of stuff. Uh, but also the big other biggest thing I've noticed, not just the inability to deal with any uh, kind of uh, pain, but it's also the attention span. Even of myself, like we're always bombarded left, right, and center. So I think the other good other thing about boxing, it does call for focus and attention so if you don't if you're not getting instant results um i've noticed that the the, the, the attention span of a student is dropped and it's always they want always vary so the ability to get them to repeat tasks and and martial arts is all about repetition right that's right drilling yeah drilling and repetition yeah. but i think once somebody once somebody they, if they do manage to stick around for a little bit they start to f- see the results of that repetition and that's mm-hmm. really important you know so um so, that's, so I guess they're the biggest things. I think just the attention span and, and the ability to push through any kind of pain, they're the biggest things for me, yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. Mate, you touched on it before. Um, you've, white-collar boxing is, um, is stopped. 
yes. at the moment. Yes. You're going on a bit of a journey, a yes. new journey, um, and potentially um, you could see something in the future. Well, who knows? What I've realised is that business, for me, um, I had to grow in a lot of skills. And it'd be, it would, look, I started. It's been I've been around for a while, but I, I, I did lack business skills, and I've learnt them now. Sure. But um, I had, I, I, I've, I've learnt them, but I don't think I was able to implement them in that situation under that stress. And I was kind of like all things, all every, everybody, and everything. So I decided in the box. You know, when you get hit in the boxing ring. You might take a hit. If you go back in again, you're more likely to get hit. But if you take a step back, you can see clearly to come yeah. back again and to 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 uh, recenter, reset, yeah. reset and come back. And so what I decided was that um, as an institution, I needed to step out, reset. And part of that was my um, nervous system was overwhelmed and I was feeling stress. And under stress, you function 50%. Of course, you uh, fifty percent. You don't find fifty percent yeah. under, under yeah. well, under your optimum. Yeah. So, and, and that was just the constant. And I start, I stopped liking getting up, going to go to the gym and training yeah. people. And I started to feel myself getting shorter. I felt my um, my energy leaving my body, and I just felt that this was no longer right anymore for me. Mm-hmm. And um, and also the business wasn't profitable. Mm-hmm. So I thought. I need to step out. I need to recenter. I need to reset and and gather all of my myself again. Uh, and I decided, look, I've built a van and I'm going to go travel Australia for twelve months. Mate, I saw that thing. I couldn't believe the size of it. I didn't. Re- I didn't remember it being so big as you drove <laughs> up the road here. Mate, that's yeah, fantastic. It's awesome. So um, the so goal of that is to go away for for indefinite yeah. period. There is no time. Uh, I'm a very spiritual person, so I really want to experience Australia's spiritual centre, which is the Indigenous culture. Mm-hmm. I want to meet um, um, our Indigenous history uh, people and, and, and yeah. experience the history of our country. Um, I know it's a very it's the oldest Indigenous culture in the world. Yes, um, and I've had a taste, uh, and I learnt a little bit at school, and I really want to experience that firsthand. And I think as well. For me, um, the stress that I feel in, inside is because of all the bullshit stuff. We, we're always told we need to grow we mm-hmm. need to, in business or we mm-hmm. need to expand or we need to do this that. There's a constant pressure. Yeah, There's a, that's right. A reverberation. Not only that, we're surrounded by electricity and Wi-Fi and mm-hmm. 4G and 5G yeah, and, yeah. Um, and then the noise of all the vehicles on the road – and we and we don't have any connection even to our source of our food. So the idea of me going on the road is connect to source, source which is higher power, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. that. And if you don't believe in a higher power, that's okay. But um, we we're all energy. We're all energetic sure. beings. That's proven yeah, scientifically yeah, now. We're bundles of yeah. So I want to connect to the source of that energy, uh, and I believe that's through nature. Yeah. And that's going to be. I want to go back to the people who were connected to that mm-hmm. source, who lived in harmony with nature. Yeah. And I want to harmonise with that because I really believe that's what we need here. And, and if I was to come back to the city, if I do come back, or whatever this journey may bring, I'm just sure. open to what this journey may yeah. bring. So I might end up. You could end up anywhere. Else, anywhere. That's, that's the beauty of it. Yep. Um, but I do want to share my learnings with people, whether it be online or whether it be running workshops sure. or whether it be running a gym again. Yeah. I, I don't know what that looks yeah. like yet. So I'm really excited to the possibilities. I guess that actually sums up my life. Yeah. 
um, I've I've kind of uh, I was like I said I was a a mechanic when I first I uh, oh, sorry I was a chef when I first started working and I changed it it wasn't that didn't work for me I became a mechanic I love I love cars but I just realised that's not for me yep and I've been a boxer. And I love it and I will always do boxing. Yeah. It's either a form of fitness or it's been the spiritual centre of my life. Yeah. yeah. And in some way. And um, I'll, I'll, what I would like to do is bring bring my life's learnings together in some way at the end of this journey. I don't know what that look, looks like yet. Oh, mate, I'm, I'm glad for you. You've, you've yeah. done 13 hard, like good hard years. You know, yes. you've, obviously you've enjoyed it. But yeah. mate, to have a and – and I know myself like after about, you know, they call it the seven-year itch or the eight-year itch or whatever it is, like I get it and – there's nothing better than just going away and not having any pressures on yourself and just mm. being able to do what you want. You've got a van, so you pretty much anywhere you go is your home. Totally. Self-sustaining. That's unreal. Yeah. yeah, it's awesome. It's really good. So, yeah. Mate, um, thanks for coming on. And, um, mate, I wish you all the best. Thanks. And, um, yeah, hopefully I'll speak to you in the future when you're back from the journey or <laughs> we do maybe you can hook it, up, yeah. hook it up on the, on the – um, on the Skype or whatever. Yeah, for sure, bro. But, mate, it's been really good to catch up with you, mate. And um, I wish you all the best. Awesome, mate. Thanks, bro. Enjoy, Thanks for having mate. me. No worries. Thank you. Thanks. Legend.